It's 12.08. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We broadcast live. It is day one at the Wisconsin State Fair 2018. I was thinking about this. I mentioned to Steve Scafidi, this is my 20th year of broadcasting for TMJ from the fair. Um, inclusive counting, actually, it's been 21 fairs, but one, there was one year a while back that station management, previous station management, thought, oh, we don't need to send anybody out to the fair, so we didn't broadcast that one year. That was not a good decision. They quickly realized that we should be out at the fair, and we are. And my program will be originating noon to three from the state fair many of the weekdays. I'm off tomorrow, but most of the weekdays next week as well. If you're coming out, stop by and say hello. It is a glorious day at the fair. I'm looking through the the list of attendants and some of the entertainment that you can see, and I'm telling you, where else, for example, can you go? These are just some of the bands that are playing today. Well, of course, Pat McCurdy. Everybody knows Pat McCurdy, a Milwaukee institution. He's playing. You've got a, a band called Yard Dog Charlie. Yard Dog Charlie. All right. Another band called Dirty Canteen is playing. And then there is a band that's playing this afternoon. I don't know if they're any good, but they're called Carrie, the Monkey Boy, and the Dancing Bear. How can you not want to go by and at least check out a band called Carrie the Monkey Boy and the Dancing Bear. If nothing else to see, Carrie the Monkey Boy and the Dancing Bear. That's all the different type of entertainment that you could see at the Wisconsin State Fair. The headliner on the maid stage this evening is Montgomery Gentry. So stop on out. The weather is very, very nice. Uh, not too hot, not too cool. Lots of people out there and lots of people are having fun. we got a lot of stuff to talk about on today's program. Let's get right to it. Over the last, well, over the last couple years, in the city of Milwaukee, there have been a series of protests where protesters for protesting various things, whatever the protest du jour would be, have decided to take to the streets of Milwaukee. Normally, the protests, for example, will start, say, in Red Arrow Park, and then they'll sort of migrate at rush hour a lot of times through the streets. You will remember there was one protest a couple years ago that ended up outside the Bradley Center when the Bucks were playing, and there was some issue as to whether or not people were going to be able to get through the protesters to get into the Bucks game. And for, for all of this, the former police chief essentially turned the other way, didn't Despite the fact that the protesters didn't have permits, weren't allowed to tie up traffic, they looked the other way. That's pretty much the way they handle things in Milwaukee when it comes to protests, say, outside of the old federal building. You will, for example, remember a couple weeks ago when President Trump was in town prior to the uh, Foxconn groundbreaking, you had a series of protesters who decided First, we're going to go to the Fister, where President Trump was staying and holding a fundraiser. And then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of wander around downtown, and we're going to block off freeway on-ramps. That actually was, might have been the first day of Summerfest, because I remember I was driving down to broadcast from Summerfest and didn't see any of them. But, but you had the freeway that was blocked. People couldn't get off the freeway for the period of about 30 minutes or so because a ragtag group of protesters decided to sit down and block the freeway off-ramp, and the police let them do it, which to me is kind of beyond the pale. Well, this afternoon in Chicago, there is a large-scale protest that is planned. They call it the Anti-Violence March, and the plan is to, now, if you have ever been to Chicago around rush hour, you know that whatever you think about rush hour in Milwaukee, 
rush hour in Chicago is whatever that problem is, and then you multiply it by 10 or 15. So here is the plan tonight. The plan is that you're going to have a number of protesters who are going to try to shut down all of Lakeshore Drive. And, of course, Lakeshore Drive at rush hour in Chicago is one of the major routes both into and that point in time out of the city. So the plan is they want to try to shut it down. They want to march towards Wrigley Field. And the organizers are unclear as to whether they are going to try to storm Wrigley Field. Uh, The police say that they're anticipating that the protest will start at 345 p.m. And there is no permit. There's no permit. This has not been authorized. And the police say, we don't intend to stand in the way. We essentially intend to allow a group of protesters to block traffic, both inbound and outbound, on Lakeshore Drive for as long as it's going to happen. And we're not going to stop them as long as the protest remains peaceful. So the fact that, you know, we're going to block traffic, well, we're going to block traffic. But we're as long as it remains peaceful, we'll let them protest for as long as we want. The spokesperson for the Chicago Police Department says, to be clear, we fully expect the protest to happen. The Chicago Police Department's role is not to prevent freedom of speech, but to protect individuals' rights to demonstrate in the safest manner. Okay, protest organizers are not asking for permission. They're not seeking a permit. They say, candidly, you know, if we were to get a permit, it would no longer be a protest. So we're talking about doing everything we can to try to cause as much disruption as we can to outgoing and incoming traffic in Chicago at rush hour this afternoon. And the police department's response is, okay, we're going to let them do that. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the same strategy that, again, the Milwaukee police have employed on an arguably smaller scale. People want to block the streets. They want to disrupt traffic. We will allow them to do that. Is that a reasonable response by authorities? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or on the flip side, Like I say, if you or I decide to go out this afternoon and park ourselves, oh, on, I don't know, let's say the corner of 4th, this middle of the street on 4th and Wisconsin, I guarantee you some police officer is going to come along. They're going to ask you or I to move. And if we don't move, we are going to be a guest of the city of Milwaukee for the next several hours. But... Apparently, the authorities in Chicago have decided we're going to allow this protest to go on without permits. Is this a reasonable response? 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. A particularly attractive crowd out here. I will say this. Like I said, I've been here for about 20 years. There's no question. The crowd that shows up to watch this program, much, much better looking than all the other crowds that show up. So welcome to the State Fair. Right now, we're talking about something that's going to happen in Chicago this afternoon. 
Um, there are organizers, and what they call themselves is the anti, it's an anti-violence protest, whatever that means. The, the group is essentially anti-city administration, they're anti-police. And so what they're going to do is they're going to take to the streets. They admit it, no permits or anything. They intend to block Lakeshore Drive, which is one of the main areas of getting into and out of the city they're also saying hey we might we might go up to wrigley field we might try to storm wrigley field the police are essentially saying we're going to let them do it we we know this is going to happen we know it's illegal there's no permits we know it's going to disrupt traffic but we are not going to get involved 414-799-1620 let's start with dean in muskego dean you're on wtmj good afternoon hi uh hi dean yeah it's probably not the most desired uh, or not the best, but it's probably, you know, you do a cost-benefit analysis, it's probably the, the best for the city of Chicago. Um, how much, how many people... Well, what about, what about all the people who are trying, what about all the motorists who are trying to get out after working all day in Chicago who now can't? It's, it's traffic. The headache of inconveniencing those people is uh, not as bad as the headache of dealing with mass arrests, staffing mass arrests, planning on how, you, how you're going to deal with all those bodies inevitable i can't breathe i need to go to hospital uh how many resources that's going to take to deal with um the lawsuits that come six months later um so I get. My, my, I, I mean, I, look, I, I get what you're saying. I, I do understand that. But is, is the answer then okay? If the mob decides that it wants to behave in a certain fashion and inconvenience all sorts of other people, we're going to let the mob rule because it's too much trouble to enforce the law. What's the alternative? Well, the, the alternative, you say this is an illegal, you're, you're in the street, this is illegal, you don't have a permit, and if you don't leave the street, you're going to be arrested. Yeah, it, it's, it's not arresting one person, though, Jeff. It's, it's arresting no. a lot of people. And it, I, and it, yeah. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, Jeff. I'd like to lock them all up, and I, I'd like to lock them up and uh, you know let them out on, on Monday morning. Um, but the <laughs> Chicago Police Department says it's cheap to deal with it this way, and that's just reality. Well, I mean, I think so. Called, I guess this is where I disagree with you because what? All right, then why have laws? I mean, if if our if our philosophy of law enforcement is going to be, th- this is the law, but we're not going to enforce the law if it's just inconvenient to do it. Well, then why have the law in in the first place? And look, and I, I guess, for example, let's go back to the example I was giving earlier. If if you and I decided. You know what we're going to do? We want to stage our own protests. So, okay, I'm out of here at State Fair. We're going to go out to 84th, um, 84th Street, right here by the State Fair, and we're going to sit down in the middle of one of the intersections, and we're going to try to make it as inconvenient as possible for people to get through and cars to get through. And there's two of us. I guarantee you the West Dallas police or the Milwaukee police or wherever it is, they're, they're going to come along and they're going to say, Dean, Jeff, you got to move. And if you don't move, you're going to be arrested, and then they're going to arrest us, and, and they would be within their rights to do it. So I guess it's the idea if you have 500 people that decide they're going to do it, those 500 can get away with it. But if it's just two of you, you don't get away with it. That's the issue I have. Brian in Chicago. Brian, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Thanks for my call. I agree with you 100%. Hi, it doesn't matter if it's two people, 200 or 2,000. If you allow them to shut down traffic and, and divert stuff, that's going to embolden them to do more. And what's, what's going to happen after they get done storming the streets? Are they going to start 
breaking windows and cars and everything else to get out of control. Well the, well, the police do say if there's violence, and only if there's violence, they, they will then they'll intercede. So if people start breaking windows, but uh, but regardless, that's what, what, what about all the people that are... are... Yeah, at the point of the people sorry, or the police inter, inter, interjecting, you've got 2,000 people starting a riot. Uh, how long is it going to take for them to quash that, and how much damage is going to happen? You look at what the mayor did in Baltimore. She said, let them riot and get it out of their system. And the city burns <laughs> for, what, a week? So yeah. there is a rule no. of law. There is There are rules. If you don't like the rules, you know, too bad. But you can't protest and, and demonstrate and shut down streets just because you're having a bad day and you want to stop your feet. Uh, I th- thanks for calling. I mean, I agree with you completely. And what about... I mean, what I mean, I the police department says, what, what about the, the well, we, we want to protect the First Amendment rights of the protesters. Oh, okay, that, that's fine. Yes, you're talking to somebody who makes his living on a daily basis under the umbrella of the First Amendment. I'm not saying take away the First Amendment rights of the protesters, but I am saying if you have a bunch of people that have decided in organized fashion that we're going to take our protest, we're going to essentially take over the streets, try to cause as much disruption as we possibly can, block traffic and engage in otherwise illegal but not violent activity. Well, what about the rights of everybody else? Why is it that we are protecting the rights, the First Amendment rights of the people who are in the wrong? And again, I... I, I, I get the fact that there is a logistical issue when you have a when you have a mob that decides they don't care about the law and they're going to do whatever that you know what they want. But but that that doesn't mean it's right, and it doesn't mean just like the Milwaukee Police Department's upper administration. This, by the way, is not a criticism of the rank and file officers, but this was a conscious decision that the upper management of the Milwaukee Police Department made a few weeks ago to allow protesters to block freeway off ramps to essentially have their little hissy fit. They they were wrong when they did that, and on a larger level, the Chicago Police Department is wrong when they decide that they're going to essentially allow protesters to take over the streets of the city of Chicago to try to make whatever the heck point they want to make. Ron and Fond du Lac. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, my concern is that what would prevent them from going to O'Hara Field or going out on the Tri-State Tollway, and who's going to stop them? Uh, this could spread to other cities like New York City, Detroit. Oh. Uh, I think that they should be well, it, By the way, it, it already is spreading. This is one of the tactics that's being used across the world. It is a worldwide tactic that's being employed. The idea being, all right, this is the trend. Let's try to cause as much disruption as we possibly can. So you're, you're right. This is just the tip of the iceberg, I think. Well, thanks for hearing me. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, you're, you're exact. I mean, th- this is the tip of the iceberg. This is this is part of this ongoing strategy re- resist. And I don't mean in this case it's not the resistance to President Trump, although that's kind of wrapped up in it. Nobody exactly knows. This is one of these things where you know everybody's protesting something and all that type of stuff. And again, I, I if 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 you want to protest, I mean, there there's ways that you go about doing it. You know, if you want to have a march, you go down, you get a permit. That's it. This organization says we're not getting a permit. No, that if it's a permit, it's it's not a protest. You know, if we're doing this and the city allows it, and we're doing this under specified terms, all right. If you want to gather in a public park, okay, that that's fine. But that's not what this is intended to do. And it will be interesting to me to see if this this group of protesters, if they really do descend on Wrigley Field this evening, and you interact with some. 
I don't know, with some Cubs fans who are intent on getting into the Cubs game, I wonder who's going to win that particular struggle. The cops, in my opinion, completely and totally wrong. And this is police administration by saying we're going to look the other way and let a mob rule the city. Mob rule never works out well. Hey, coming up in just a few minutes, speaking of protests, there's an interesting there's a new interesting angle, and I understand we've talked and talked about for the last year about the NFL protests. There's a new interesting angle to the story, and I am fascinated to get your response. We are broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. Lots of big crowds out here. Everybody's having a great time. Plenty of room for you. Stop by, say hi. It's 1227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. The Ohio State football program finds itself in the news thanks to an internal investigation that involves Urban Meyer, that would be their head coach, and allegations of domestic abuse against an assistant coach. Is Meyer's paid leave a precursor to his firing? Very own Greg Matzik hopes so. He'll share all the details. Be sure to tune in tonight, Sports Central at 635. All right, I, I confess, huge Brewers fan. I couldn't stay up to watch the game at the end of the game last night. Now, now in my defense, I was out. I was up at 4 a.m. yesterday morning. I was in the parking lot at 5:15, handing out our free cream puffs to people who were in line. Um, and I just I, we had a, we actually had a dinner party last night. We had some friends that were over, and I, I, my wife was doing the lion's share of cleaning up. Come on, guys, you know how that works, you know. But but I was trying to help out a little bit and watching the ball game. And I I, I got to about the eighth inning. And then it was, can't keep my eyes open. So I just, I fell asleep. And actually this morning my wife said, oh, you know, the Brewers lost in, they lost in the 10th inning. But, but here's the bottom line. Do not, do not jump off the bandwagon, Brewers fans. There's no reason to do that. I, I understand there was a little bit of a rough stretch before the All-Star break. But, but here's the bottom line. And I, I said this after they were coming back out of the All-Star break. A really, really tough schedule of games. They play the Washington Nationals, who are underperforming but still very talented. You play the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are one of the best teams in the National League. Then you go on the road, four games in San Francisco, four games in Los Angeles. And you look at the way the Brewers have come through that gauntlet. They split the home series with the Dodgers and um, the Nationals. They go on the road, and even with that loss in 10 innings yesterday, they are 5-2 and two on this West Coast road swing. And if you are a regular fan of Wisconsin sports teams, you know that oftentimes, whether it's basketball or whether it's baseball, the, you know, the West Coast is where seasons go to die, a lot of times for uh, baseball fans and basketball fans. So the bottom line is, regardless of what happens tonight, if they win the game tonight, they come back 6-2. and two. Even if they lose, they come back 5-3. and three. And I don't care if they're a game or two behind the Cubs at the end of all that. They have managed to stay competitive during one of the most difficult stretches of their schedule. And I think that that is a reason, that's something to be excited about. So that that's kind of the bottom line. Um, and, you know, they're, they're back home Friday night, uh, tomorrow night against Colorado. And I hope this whole weekend, I just hope there's a huge turnout of people because this team is for real. They're playing really good baseball, and they certainly deserve fan support. All right, speaking about fan support, for the last two years, we have been discussing at great length 
the NFL protest. You know, it all started with former San Francisco 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who decided that he wanted to show up on the sidelines at NFL games and he wanted to kneel during the national anthem as his way of protesting, well, whatever. And so then what happened is a small group of players decided that they wanted to do the same thing as their way of protesting whatever. And and I say that because it, it wasn't like it was some organized thing. Everybody's protesting this. Some people said we're taking a knee because we're protesting U.S. involvement here. Other people said we're taking a knee because we're protesting this, that, or the other thing. So the, the NFL, recognizing that they had a huge public relations problem, first of all, they let this go. Then, for better or worse, President Trump decides to weigh in on this last year, and he implies that the people who are protesting are un-American and that the you know NFL owners need to get involved. And then, of course, that's like... Again, throwing, again, that's like throwing oil onto an already burning fire. It just, the whole thing explodes. And the NFL has been grappling with this ever since. There is no question in my mind that one of the several reasons, and there's multiple reasons, that NFL ratings and interest are down. Now, don't get me wrong. It's still, you know, a, a huge huge thing but ratings were down and i think along with the fact that maybe there's overexposure and too many games and all that one of the things was i think that this protest left a bad taste in a number of people's mouths so in an effort to address that the nfl comes out about a month and a half ago and says all right here's the deal this is how we're going to handle it you don't have to come out and stand during the national anthem but don't come out then you, you can stay back in the tunnel but if you're on the field we expect you standing I thought that was a reasonable compromise. But of course the players didn't, a number at least some of the players, they they just reacted, you know, they started complaining about this and as it stands now, the NFL said, okay, we're we're going to just put this all in advance. We're just going to put it all on hold and and try to figure it out, which is of course the worst of all worlds. Well, into this debate jumps Jerry Jones the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And I hear everybody now hissing at the radio, you know, but but Jerry Jones and it's his team. Jerry Jones essentially comes out and says, look, if you're playing for the Cowboys, you're standing on, you're, you're not back in the locker room. If you're going to play for my team and I am the owner, you're standing on the sidelines. You're not in the locker room. You're on the sidelines. You're not kneeling. This is what we do as a team. And it's my way or the highway. And the unspoken comment beyond this is, if you don't like it, well, all right, go find somewhere else to play. So Jerry Jones comes out and says that. And some of his other owners, are I, they're unhappy with him for a number of reasons. But part of it is they think that maybe he's showing them up by taking that position. All right, well, into this jumps the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Not Tony Romo. He was the previous quarterback. Dak Prescott. And after Jones comes out and says, look, this is how we're going to handle it. You know, and it went during that anthem, you're standing toes on the line. And if you don't like it, um, you face the possibility of losing your job. So Dak Prescott, again, the quarterback um, from the for the 49ers, he comes out and he says, you know what? I don't have a problem with this. <laughs> he says, he said, you know, I, I have no trouble with this at, at all. Said, and, you know, he said, I, I believe in standing for the national anthem, and I'm going to do what I always did, which is stand for the national anthem. He says, I understand the reason behind the protests, but he said he believes it's the wrong time, 
and the wrong venue in which to protest. So he says, I want no part of this. I'm, I am standing. All right, well, a number of people interpret that as being supportive of, of Jerry Jones and what he said. And social media has erupted. Here's the way they're describing it in the Dallas newspaper that I'm looking at. It prompted a swift and visceral backlash on social media. People accusing Prescott of selling out. People accusing Prescott of not supporting a cause very dear to many people of color. People accusing Prescott of you know, supporting President Donald Trump, who continues to use this issue to fire up his base. Prescott was criticized from journalists, rappers, comedians, and some fellow NFL players. His own Twitter and Instagram pages have been bombarded by a number of unflattering comments. So he's getting all sorts of pressure. And his response is, I am not oblivious to it. You get on social media, you see it. But you know what? It doesn't bother me. I said what I said. You have an opinion. Everyone else has an opinion. They're entitled to theirs. I accepted what they said, and they respect it. But they should also respect me. I regret nothing I said. I believe in standing for the national anthem because he says, for me, it's a time of reflection. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the stance that this guy took was nothing short of courageous. And I think the fact that there are people out there criticizing him for saying, yeah, I'm going to stand, and I think it's wrong for other people to be using these NFL games as a vehicle for protest, I think he's the one that's right. All right, did he do anything wrong? Should he back down in the face of criticism from sportscasters or criticism from some of his fellow players or criticism from some of those people that write the sports columns in the newspaper who just can't believe that anybody would think that you should have to stand during the national anthem? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, once again, broadcasting live from day one at the Wisconsin State Fair. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. I was out during the break and ran into a guy who went to high school with my wife. Did you marry Fran? And I said, yeah, I did. Well, I went to high school with her, and I'm good friends with her friend Denise. So if I forget, honey, Jim says hello. Another group, three sisters, um, Anne. It's A, B, and C. It was Anne, and I think she said Beth, and then Kathy. But they were out there watching the show. All fans. Great. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What we're discussing now is Dak Prescott, who is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. He's come out, and he said, you know what? I'm not on board with any of these protests. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect us to stand, and that is precisely what I am going to do. Dave in Richmond. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, David Raymond. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I'm Raymond. It, I'm sorry. It, it, yeah, it strikes me that the to me it's uh, fundamentally a work uh, an employer workplace environment issue. Um, the employer has the right to control the responsibility to control the environment of his employees when they're they're you know, being paid to perform. Yeah. And so I, I don't see why not. Um, I mean, I really don't see why not. Um, Kaepernick, quite frankly, only bothered me. Uh, I guess in the sense that. Uh, you know, as a consumer of the product, you know, watching football on TV, it just got to be kind of annoying because of the amount of attention. And then, right. honestly, when he, he really, he went, he went, I think, off the island when um, uh, when he wore those socks that said pig or something like that on it. That was just flat out of right. 
Yeah, well, thanks for the call, David. See, I mean, I agree that my position all along has been, you're right, it's a workplace rule sort of thing. Nobody is saying to these, and that to me that's always been the larger thing, nobody is saying to these NFL players, hey, if, if you want to you want to protest anything from conditions in South Africa to police violence or whatever, you do it, but you do it on your own time. That That's, you know, you, you want to go down to City Hall on Tuesday and you want to address March. Nobody is saying you can't do it. What the owners all along have simply been saying is that, when, when you're on that foot, when you're in uniform, when you are essentially at work, you can't co-opt our game. That That's not where your First Amendment freedom of expression lies. Just like uh, my employer, I think, has every right to say, all right, um, well, I mean, I tell you, they... they for uh, in in the media, and this does not apply to me because I'm kind of an asterisk for what I do. But for example, you know, uh, employers in the news media will frequently say you cannot, you can't, for example, because you are supposed to be a journalist covering campaigns, you can't put your name on political stuff. You you can't be at fundraisers, you know, in a in your individual capacity. You give up that right by virtue of the job. I don't think that that's an unreasonable restriction. It's something that ties in. And that's the same thing that's going on here. Terry in Oshkosh. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Terry? Right here. Terry. Oh, hi Terry. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Sure. I want to I want to say that I am totally behind uh, Mr. Prescott and his patriotism, but it's going to take a lot more than him to get me back in the NFL football fan base. Um, yeah. My my blood goes back with the Green Bay Packers, and and when they started this stuff, I said that they can do what they want, but I'm going to exercise my right and I'm going to boycott the NFL. I feel a relief actually, uh, since I'm not. I'm not letting myself get involved with the with the Packers because of this issue. Even though, I mean, this hasn't been something prominent on the Packers. I mean, there were there were a handful of protests last year, including some players that are no longer with the team. It's been a bigger deal than others. But you're just tuned out to the NFL in general, huh? Yeah, I don't give the Packers any uh, any buy on this. They they stood they kneeled with the guy, um, and, and I just think. The whole idea of kneeling for the national anthem, it might be their right, but I'm exercising mine, too. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, this is, of course, I mean, this is why the NFL botched this big time. The NFL, two years ago when Kaepernick started doing this, should have addressed it, and they should have addressed it directly, saying, hey, we're, we're not going to allow this. I think their compromise is more than reasonable. All right, if you don't want to stand for the national anthem because of whatever reason, fine, then just just do whatever you want, but do it off the field. We're not going to give you on the sidelines when you're on national TV uh, because uh, you are playing a game when you are at your workplaces, which which is what the field is at that time. We're not going to give you that vehicle. I've got a number of fascinating uh, texts. Mark from Bristol says, being a diehard Packers fan, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but I fully agree with Prescott and Jones. They shouldn't back down. I'll be very curious to see how Prescott's jersey sales go up. Both, good for both of them standing up for what they believe in, which is, I, I think, exactly which is the right thing. Yeah, that's the thing. You, you hate to, yeah, you hate to. Say it, because it's a cowboy. Steve Kenosha from Kenosha sends me a text, makes that same point. Even though he is a Dallas cowboy, he's awesome. <laughs> I think, you know, that's an interesting question. I think that what's going to happen to the jersey sales 
about this. And I think the bottom line is it's probably going to go through the roof. Here's another text. As much as it kills me to say this about any Dallas Cowboy player, he has my ultimate respect, and I guarantee you more people respect what he's doing than do not. I do think it's interesting here, but this kind of shows how the pendulum swings. Here you have one player who responds by saying, you know what, I'm not on board with all this. I'm sorry with all what the sportscasters are saying. I understand what some players are saying, but you know what? I think it's wrong to kneel for the national anthem, and I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to be a part of it. And for that, I think he deserves to be applauded. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair on WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. We are in our broadcast facility. As I was saying at the start of the show, this is uh, this is 20 years. 20 years I have been broadcasting from the Wisconsin State Fair. There was one year that uh, management at the time decided, ah, we don't need to send you guys out to the fair. But that was a mistake. They quickly, I think, realized that we want to be out at the fair. And it's always a lot of fun to get a chance to interact with everybody who's the fair goers and things like that. But there, there are a lot of memories, and especially on like the first and the last day of the fair, they all come flooding back to me. If you've ever come out to the State Fair and seen our broadcast facility, we kind of call it the fishbowl, and people come and they they. they watch all of us while we work immediately behind me there's a door and behind that door there's a small area where we have our engineering stuff and then behind that there's a a larger room not a large room but a little bit larger area that we use for prep work and things like that and it's been that way uh, since i've been out here for 20 years like i said we've made improvements to the structure and put in new air conditioning and things like that and i just I, i think back on I think back on some of the times we've been here doing rainstorms and lightning and cold weather and and just all the hot weather as well. And I just, I I always, the different things kind of flash back. And just a couple minutes ago, I was back in like this little prep area that we have. And I, I, well, Jonathan Green was still here. Jonathan Green, of course, the legendary broadcaster and host of the Greenhouse. There was one summer, and we were here, and I swear it was 110 degrees, maybe 105, but it was one of those really, really, really hot days. And I walk into that back area, and there's Jonathan Green. I thought John was dead. He's sprawled out on the floor. I mean, he's on the floor, and he, he's not moving. And I then, of course, I'm thinking, okay, now now what do you do? You know, I mean, what, what am I supposed to do to do you? I'm not trying mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. It's kind of like, um, our, and what had happened is I, he had he had been out, you know, doing whatever he was doing in this, like, 105-degree weather, and, and he had just kind of come back, and he had sort of, I just got to lay down. So he had chosen to lay down on the floor in the back area, and, you know, ultimately we were able to get him hydrated and stuff, but I was thinking, oh, I've just kind of come upon this. I was just standing back there thinking, gee, I remember that year when I saw John Green sprawled out here, and I thought he was dead. It's those kind of memories that come back when you are actually out at the Wisconsin State Fair. All right, earlier today, I got out at the fair, and um, the State Fair is not good for anyone's diets, mine included. I try 
to eat a little healthier, but that's kind of a difficult sort of thing. That's like getting fried salad on a stick instead of the, the deep-fried butter. But what I did this morning, and I'll, I'll do this once or twice during the fair, it's kind of my treat to myself. I walked down to the Wisconsin Products Building, and they've got the, the poultry guys and the poultry kids, and they, they make omelets. Five bucks, I think it's great. So then what I do is I go over and I get the Wisconsin baked potato, and I have an omelet and the baked potato, and that, that will hold me for the whole day. And I, I'm not arguing that that's necessarily healthy, but given some of the other stuff, that's that's my nod to try to do that. But as I'm walking down to the Wisconsin Products Pavilion, I run into State Senator Leah Vukmir, who's kind of coming the other way. She's here working the fair or whatever, and we end up having a brief conversation. And I, the Republican primary, voters two weeks from last Tuesday, so it's, what, 12 days from now, are going to go to the polls, and they're going to decide who the candidates are going to be for the November elections. I always remind people about this because there is some confusion. In Wisconsin, we have what is known as an open primary. You do not have to register to vote as either a Republican or as a Democrat. You you can go to the polls that day, and you can choose which which party's primary you want to vote in. But you can't go back and forth. If you say, I want to vote in the Republican primaries, then you have to vote in all the Republican primaries. You can't flip over and vote in Democratic primaries and vice versa. For example, if you want to vote in the Republican primary to choose between Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir to run for the right to run against Tammy Baldwin, you can vote in that. But then if you live in Milwaukee County, you can't vote in the Democratic primary for sheriff. So you have to pick one or the other. So in any event, the, the primary election's coming up two weeks from last Tuesday, and it, it's getting to the end stages. Now, I have known Leah Vukmir, and I, one other thing. During this primary season, I have tried to be scrupulously impartial when it comes to the Nicholson-Vukmir race. And, and, and that's because, candidly, I don't think there's one whit of difference between these two Republican candidates. I, I just don't. I think, you know, they agree on 99% of the issues. And to me, the decision for voters comes down to really who do you like the best and who do you think has the best chance of beating Tammy Baldwin? It, it's That's what I think it is, because if you were trying to ask me to say, all right, now try to find issues they disagree on, I don't think I could. And, and I, I know both of them, and I've seen both of their platforms. I think it's it's more just a matter of style, and experience, and, and, and all that. And, and that's how this is going to all shake out. That is why I have found it to be particularly frustrating over the last month or so to see some of these outside groups, and there's these outside political action committees who are spending a ton of money in support of either Vukmir or Nicholson, and they're doing it by running attack ads against the other one. And, and to me, and I've said this about a week ago on the air, to me, the only person that wins from that is the ultimate, is Tammy Baldwin. You know, the, the U.S. Senator who's going to be running as a Democrat because you have these two candidates and there's these outside groups and they're throwing mud at each one and they're spending all that money. My preference would be, and I wish both of the candidates would have put out a joint statement disavowing this, simply saying, we can't control the ads that other people run, but we would prefer that these groups knock this stuff off. And unfortunately, neither one of the candidates has done it. Well, anyhow, there's another story that has surfaced, and it kind of peripherally involves WTMJ. 
I now do, every spring, we do our Insight program, and I've been hosting it for the last couple of years, but before I took over, my friend and former colleague, Charlie Sykes, did. And a couple of years ago, this would have been the last year that Charlie hosted Insight, which would have been 2016. Now, keep in mind, 2016, Donald Trump is not president. Donald Trump is not even the Republican nominee for president. This is the, the height of the primary season. And if you think back to, to that time, uh, there was there were a lot of doubts and skepticism about Donald Trump and, and all that. And many, many, many Wisconsin uh, Republicans actually weren't rallying to the cause of Donald Trump. Keep in mind, Donald Trump didn't win the Wisconsin primary. And so during Insight 2016, Charlie had a, a panel of Republican women on, one of whom was Leah Vukmir. And they were talking about some of the things that President, now President, but then Donald Trump, candidate Trump, had said and some of the ways he referred to people and things like that. And and I, I think Leah Vukmir was saying what a lot of people were saying at the time because they were talking about some of the statements about women and things. And she says on, on this tape, He's offensive to women, he's offensive to men, he's offensive to little people, he's offensive to fat people, he's offensive to just about everyone. But then she went on and said, um, essentially, you know, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, he, he deserves a chance, he's, he's right on a number of these issues, and I think if he's the nominee, a lot of people might just end up holding their nose and voting for him, which, by the way, is kind of precisely what happened. So now what's going on, and I have a press release here from the uh, Nicholson campaign, Nicholson campaign releases new ad highlighting Vukmir's attacks on President Trump. In 2016, Vukmir attacked President Trump by calling him offensive to everyone. Her remarks show us what we've always known. There is actually a significant difference in this primary between the two candidates. One candidate is filled with disdain, not only for President Trump, but also for his supporters. Meanwhile, Kevin Nicholson voted for President Trump in both the primary and general elections and supports the president in his agenda. All right. Here's all I have to say about that. I, I think it's very unfair to, just like I have said all along, I think some of the criticism of Nicholson, that back when he was in college, you know, he was a member of the College Democrats, I think it is unfair to say about him, oh, well, 15 years later or 20 years later, you can't be a conservative. I, I think it is similarly unfair to go back and say to about Leah Vukmir, gee, before President Trump was the president, when there were other candidates that were running, you were supporting other candidates, and you were saying the same things that a lot of people, myself included, were saying about then-candidate Donald Trump. I think it's unfair to say that you can't support President Trump. As a matter of fact, if I were to have any criticism of either Vukmir or Nicholson, I think it would be that there aren't, I, I'm troubled a little bit by their unwillingness to criticize President Trump on areas where I think he is dead wrong. When I had, for example, Leah Vukmir on this program a week or two ago, you know, we, we were talking and she was, I, I, I think President Trump, for example, is dead wrong on the issue of tariffs. Scott Walker is on my, is on my side with that. Ron Johnson is on my side with that. She was unwilling to, I, I think, come out and criticize him for that. If anything, I, I think she's, perhaps, as is Nicholson, maybe too much of a loyal Trump supporter to the fact that they don't, they're don't they not willing to criticize him when he's wrong. And believe me, I think he deserves to be praised when he's right, but he deserves to be criticized when he's wrong. But this idea that, well, you should vote for Kevin Nicholson because Vukmir won't support the Trump agenda, 
It just doesn't hold water. It's just not fair. Decide who you want to vote for, you know, based on the personality, based on who you think has the best chance to win, whatever. But going back and resurrecting some old file footage from a couple years ago and trying that to apply that to the current situation, just fundamentally wrong. And that comes from a perspective of somebody who is trying to be scrupulously neutral in this primary race. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Stick around. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're tuning in, we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. One of the things I love about the State Fair is, there's many things I love, but just a lot of the bands that that play, I just love the names. Today, for example, 4 p.m. at Apollo's, Dirty Deuce. Huh. Um, Then my, my favorite one, they're playing right now. Carrie, the Monkey Boy, and the Dancing Bear. I I would love the opportunity to stop by this place just to see what a band featuring Carrie, the Monkey Boy, and the Dancing Bear looks like. I'm just saying an inquiring mind wants to know. All right. There are many, many people who think that President Trump is deeply unpopular and that lack of popularity is going to spill over in the midterm elections and it is going to cost Republican seats in the House of Representatives, Republican seats in the U.S. Senate, and that it will spill over and it will make more more difficult to elect Republicans to various state houses. Now, for example, you know, Governor Walker's up for election. I don't see that as being a factor in the Walker race for reasons that we'll probably talk about over time. But that's that's sort of the, the intention. People don't like President Trump, and as a result, all right, the Republicans are going to have problems. All right. Here's the deal, though. There there are a number of, of polls that are out there, and one of the things that we have learned after the last couple elections is that the um, pollsters don't know anything. And I, and I, and I say that with, with affection, but even the polls that used to do a good job of, of measuring and predicting results, like the Marquette University Law School poll, they didn't get it. They've, they've been wrong for a while now. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's a problem with the methodology. I don't know if people lie to the pollsters. I don't know if they can't get to a representative group of people because of everybody's on cell phones. Now, I don't know what it is. All I know is that if you've been watching the polls, for example, even in Wisconsin, if you were looking at the polls, Hillary Clinton would be president, and Ron Johnson would have lost not only two years ago to Russ Feingold, but he would have lost eight years ago to Russ Feingold. And, and those numbers are dramatically wrong. So polls are all over the map, and, and while I think it would be ignorant just to throw them out and say that you're going to ignore them, I think it, it's also ignorant to say, okay, we're going to cherry-pick polls when they say what you want, um, and, and just to completely and totally ignore it. I think you have to take them with a grain of salt. Well, anyhow, Rasmussen reports, which is one of the pollsters, they do, they do daily polling. And I, I have their tracking poll that, that's out there now. And the tracking poll for today says 50% of likely U.S. voters approve of President Trump's job performance. 49% disapprove. 35% strongly approve of the way he's performing. 41% strongly disapprove. But the big number is he's now above water, meaning more people approve of the job he's doing than disapprove of it. And this is, it's a daily tracking poll, and I think they run with like three-day averages. But 
again, without going too much into the methodology, the, the takeaway, the headline is, you know, President Trump is now polling 50% job approval in this one poll, which is, of course, you know, different than what you might see in other polls. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a very simple question. Do you believe th- th- these numbers? Do you think it's now gotten to the point where, I don't know, half of U.S. likely voters approve, actually do approve of the job that President Trump is doing. Certainly, if you watch the MSNBCs of the world and you get all your information from the New York Times or the Washington Post, you would think that President Trump is the worst person imaginable and that there's no way that anybody could be supporting him, much less 50% of the population. Is a poll like this completely out to lunch, or are we looking at something where, once again, maybe there is a phenomena going on in this country that the mainstream media just doesn't get. 414-799-1620. Could it really be possible that 50% of the American public actually do approve of the job the President of the United States is doing? We discuss next, and I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 127. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair during the break. I just ran into uh, First Lady Tanette Walker. She was uh, here with uh, uh, the director of the Department of Tourism, and they were apparently, I don't know if they were judging or participating in the sporky thing, and they, they said, got to try ants on a stick. If you're walking around and you're looking for something to eat, try ants on a stick. So if it's good enough for Tanette Walker, it's it's good enough for me if I've, if I see ants on a stick, maybe I'll give it a chance. All right, what we're talking about now is there's a new poll out. It's Rasmussen Polls. They are one of many polling operations that are out there. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But their tracking poll has President Trump's job approval above water, 50 to 49, which is coming as a shock to many people. I will also say this. It's, it's inconsistent with some of the most recent polls. For example, uh, same same period of time, there's a poll done by The Economist that suggests the approval rating is 43%, the disapproval rating is 53%. The Reuters poll done essentially the same time says the approval rating is 44%, the disapproval rating is 54%. Could, could Rasmussen be right? Could President Trump really be winning more hearts and minds than certainly MSNBC, CNN, The Washington Post, and uh, The New York Times think? Let's start with Bill and Racine. Bill, you're first. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bill. Uh, Right back to 1992, Bill Clinton's famous line to George Herbert Bush, it's the economy, stupid. And that's Mm -hmm. where we're at on that. So I think we're in the same situation. Economy's up, so is his approval rating. Also, I would like to thank Donald Trump for knocking uh, Governor Walker out of that presidential run because it's wonderful to have him back, and hasn't he done wonderful things the last couple of years? Uh, thanks to call, Bill. You know, it's, it's interesting that you, you, you dovetail this back to Governor Walker because I, I know there's some silly poll, this Marist poll that was out that uh, a couple days ago that says if there was a hypothetical man, you know, uh, match between Governor Walker and Tony Evers, Evers would win by 13 points. The, the only people that believe that is somebody that's, I, I think, 
either you know deeply embedded in Dane County or you know heavily medicated. But be, but I, I want to get back to the whole point that you're talking about about you know the the Bill Clinton thing. It's the economy, stupid. One of the biggest things that Governor Walker has going for him, for example, is the fact that it is difficult to imagine the economy in Wisconsin being more robust than it is. That's the reality. And the same thing is true, you know, nationally. And you're exactly right. In times of peace and prosperity, when we move nearer and nearer towards full employment, when people feel good about their jobs and they feel good about their personal financial situation, those are times that typically benefit the incumbent, and we're certainly in that period of time. Now, you can sit there and say, I wish he wouldn't tweet, or I wish he wouldn't do that, but at the end of the day, if somebody's sitting there and saying, well, you know, I don't like this characteristic, or I don't like that characteristic, or I don't like all the bluster, or whatever, but at the same time, hey, you know, I've gotten raises the last four years, my company is doing well, I feel pretty comfortable about myself, that's Typically, when people decide to vote, and they vote their pocketbooks, 414-799-1620, John in Delafield. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Another great topic. Um, Thank you, sir. You do a great job. Uh, this poll, any of the polls, you got to go plus or minus three. You never know. But here's a catch that i got to ask the listeners and you. I think there's a hidden majority that have voted for Trump that are afraid to come out and express it. You don't see the great America has. People are afraid to admit. There's people on the left that are happy that are afraid to admit it. I think these polls could be higher. But the problem is people aren't coming out. There's a special thing going on in this country, and there's a lot of people very happy and enthusiastic about it, but they're, they're hiding in the shadows. And come to vote, I think, like I said, this could be much higher. And come come November, I think you're going to see another special thing that we saw in 2016. Well, thanks for the call. You know, that, that's John. Well, it could be. I mean, there, there's no question that something went on in 2016. And and was it was it bad methodology? Was it the, the culmination of years of just bad polling and problems? Or was there what what I I hate to use the phrase silent majority because I say that has Nixon Nixonian overtones. But but is there is there this group of people out in flyover country? The the people that the Jim Acostas of CNN don't speak to and don't understand, that the Hollywood elites or or the people that, you know, are sitting in the coffee shops in Manhattan just don't get and are, are they not picking up on that? And again, if you tie it into what we were just talking about a minute ago, when the fact is that, that the economy is going going great guns, are people willing to say, all right, I, I don't I, – look, I, I understand there's some people who just – you know, love the fact that the president is so combative and the fact that he punches down and the fact that, you know, he, he just doesn't take anything from anybody. And I think, I, quite candidly, he's decidedly unpresidential. But some people might necessarily not necessarily think that that's a bad thing at all. But at the end of the day, I still do believe that there's a lot of people, not if you're a hardcore conservative or a hardcore liberal, but I think there's a lot of those people, particularly the folks in flyover country, that at the end of the day are perhaps willing to overlook some of the stuff that they, they don't like as long as they are doing well personally. And, and that's, 
that's what the real key, I think, of this is. All right, here's a text. Trump has done a great job with policies and judge selection. The only issue I see is his personal behavior. I believe he does this as a distraction and loves the drama. I believe his improve his numbers have improved, though, and I think he has a good chance for a second term. Now, as far as a good chance for a second term, to me, that depends a lot on who it is that the Democrats decide to run against him. I mean, and I mean that sincerely. If I continue to believe that this country is a is a basically is a conservative leaning country, I don't think we are ready to turn over the reins of government to people who are socialists. And there is a, a good portion of the new left that's emerging, and that's what they're talking about. They they want to be socialists. That they think that that's the the way of the future. And the truth is that there's no country that, that's been able to make socialism work. It, it hasn't. And I certainly don't think we're at the point in the United States. So if it's that hard left, if the candidate in 2020 for the Democrats emerges and it turns out to be somebody who's pretty much an avowed socialist, no, I, I, I think Donald Trump, I think pretty much anybody could beat them. But I, but that's, that's that scenario. Somebody else who's more mainstream, somebody else who's more moderate but left-leaning, that might be a different dynamic. 414-799-1620. Michael in Bayside. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Leading up to the, and including the election, there was only one outlier poll that had Trump winning, and that was the election. So <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, these pundits and news people of even the right have screened themselves out. No one is listening anymore. They could actually, Mueller could produce proof that Trump had done something wrong, and there's been so much speaking on either side about it, people wouldn't even notice. So yes, I think that the majority does approve the job because they have more money. They see on, on the issues, he's doing well. All this other stuff right. is just a sideshow. Right. Well, and that's I'm, right. I mean, and thanks for the call. You know, I, I think, you know, th- there there is that that factor. I mean, at the end of the day, is it just to use your words? Is it just a, a sideshow? I mean, when well, we, we talked about this topic you know, yesterday about how you had the big the rally in Tampa, Florida, and the crowd was, you know, screaming at Jim Acosta and, you know, uh, about fake news and CNN sucks and those types of things. And, and you had he, he's just appalled. And you have all these like liberal talking heads that are just absolutely appalled. And while I thought the crowd was engaging in bad behavior, the flip side is there's a lot of bad behavior on the part of what I think are some biased journalists. I think there's all sorts of blame to go around that the mainstream media completely in the tank. Many, 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 and again, we're generalizing, many, many, many suffering from the Trump derangement syndrome, and and they play to a certain segment of their audience. They play to their tribe. I don't know, though, that that's where the majority of America is, and that might be what's reflected in these various polls. And again, if you look at the average of the polls, those, those numbers are not as good. I don't know if I believe, I'm skeptical when it comes to any of these polls, but I, I do think that there's something going on in this country, and I think some of the support for the president is, is grossly underreported. And it doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean that there's these people who are misogynists or racists or whatever that are out there. It means that there's people who, again, sort of like the direction of this country and they like the fact that the economy is going well. And of course, the economy can go to hell soon. You know, I mean, that there's all you know. Who knows? That's one of the things I've been concerned about with the tariffs. I mean, this is if you want to talk about like plunging the country. 
well, I don't know, into a recession, but certainly undoing a lot of the good stuff that's gone on the last few years. I, I'm afraid a, a trade war could, in fact, lead to that. And then, of course, if the economy stops going great guns, well, all bets are off when it comes to the electoral process. Um, is President Trump really at 50% approval? Don't know, but interesting thing to contemplate. All right, 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Stick around. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's the July jobs report, and it drops tomorrow morning, but everyone will be looking at wage growth. Are you getting more in your take-home pay? Gene Miller has more. Tune in, 521 a.m. tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. I had a friend who always used to say, the guy that puts up the tent can't complain about the size of the circus. And what that what that means essentially is if if you're the one that starts something, you really can't complain about what happens after you've started it. And, and here's this is a classic example of this. You will remember a few months ago, there's this woman named Rhonda Gerard. She's the Fresno State professor who, after Barbara Bush, now, I, I don't care, I don't care about your politics. I don't care if you're Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative. I, I guess I, I always remember, I, there's two phrases I remember from my high school Latin class. The, the late Juanita Bonham taught me high school Latin. And, and the two phrases I remember is one in we know where which means in wine there's truth which comes up from time to time. And the other one is um, something to the effect of speak nothing but good of, of the dead, which I, I think is probably a, some good advice. So Barbara Bush passes away a couple months ago. And again, I, I don't care what your politics are. Barbara Bush was an incredibly classy lady. She, she just was an American icon. So she passes uh, away and, of course, th- this woman who is a Fresno State professor goes on a Twitter rant that lasts more than five hours after Mrs. Bush has passed away, um, saying things like, Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. And that's just that's some of the nicer things that she ended up saying. And to which the response this woman had then after she started getting criticized was, I don't care what you think of me. Doesn't matter. I've got tenure. There's nothing that I, there's nothing that anybody can do, uh, to me. I, I've got tenure. I can be as outrageous as I want at Fresno State. And as it turns out, that's pretty much the case. Fresno State decided, even though we're embarrassed by this woman, um, we, we can't, you know, we can't stop her from doing this. So at the end of the day, the, the awful woman who says the awful thing, she ends up, she ends up winning. All right. So that's, that's where it stands. Well, what happens is, in what should surprise nobody, just like this lady, has the right to, I guess, express her opinions and then hide behind her university tenure in order to keep her $100,000 job. Well, other people have a right to respond as well. And surprise follows surprise. After she says these horrible and hateful things about Barbara Bush, well, she gets a lot of her own medicine back at her. And she gets a number of hostile emails directed back at her commenting on what she said about the late Mrs. Bush. And some of those are not particularly charitable. There's no question about it. Some aren't particularly charitable. And, you know, some talk about her as being a disgrace. 
um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's, they're sent to her in the same spirit as her comments are. So I bring this up because she's now crying crocodile tears. She's now gone, for example, she's contacted the local newspaper out there, which is the Sacramento Bee, and, and she's blaming the paper. Look at what happened. I've been getting all these, I've been getting all these hostile tweets and hostile emails all because, you know, you reported what, what I did. And that's led to the violent public reactions that I've got. It, it's, it's fed, your reporting is fed into the inhumane and cruel treatment towards, uh, you know, me in this particular case. To which I'm like, lady, cry me a river. I mean, seriously, you decide that you want to, in the immediate aftermath of, of anybody passing away, much less someone that I think the vast majority of American people think was a, a great American in any stretch. But regardless, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's been in public life for decades, and I think most people think that she was a pretty classy lady. And you decide in the immediate aftermath of her passing that you're going to launch vicious attacks against her, and then you are surprised and you start whining because you get vicious attacks leveled back at you. Again, like my friend used to say, the guy that puts up the tent can't complain about the size of the circus. If you decide that you want to attack someone in this fashion, don't come whining when you get that thrown back at you. Maybe think about that the next time you decide to, in the immediate wake of somebody's passing, decide to call them racists who who raised war criminals and things of the like. This lady, and maybe she's going to lump this into the whole description of inhumane treatment, she is a complete waste of space. In my opinion, it is a disgrace that Fresno State couldn't figure out a way to fire her. And if I were Fresno State, I would be reassessing what their academic tenure policies are to make sure that people like her don't get to stay on college campuses if they behave in this fashion. That's just me. It's 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, once again, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, once again, broadcasting live. It is day one at the Wisconsin State Fair. Extremely nice weather out there. Cream puffs, beer to be had, stuff on a stick. Be sure to check out the Wisconsin Products Pavilion. I go down there, and uh, the diet just, my wife is listening, honey, turn off the radio. The diet just kind of goes out the window. Um, So much good stuff down there to check out. All right, a lot of ground to cover in this hour of the program. I want to start with the latest development involving the city of Milwaukee and these bird scooters. And I admit, I am fascinated by this. I think, you know, people know the story by now. These bird scooters, bird is a brand. These are those, remember as, as kids, you'd have the scooters, you know, where you'd put the one foot on it, and then you'd, you know, run your other foot kind of like Fred Flintstone against the ground, and the wheels would turn, and you'd ride them. All right, these are those type of things, except they've got electric motors, and they can go 15, 20 miles an hour. The way that the company operates is they drop, they drop these things off in a community. You download an app on your phone. The app then, let's say you want to ride one of these scooters. The app tells you where a scooter is. You go. You find it. You put in whatever your information is, and then it costs you a dollar 
to to ride the thing, and then it's like fifteen cents a minute, something like that, whatever it is. And and people use them. You, a lot of people ride them up and down the lakefront, for example, um, or you could use them to get around. You're downtown, you're on Wells in Wisconsin, and you want to go up to Marquette University, and you find one of these, and you can go. Right? The, the city of Milwaukee has been sort of at war with bird scooters. city attorney's office takes the position that they cannot be legally operated in the state of Wisconsin on city streets, that they, they don't comply with the state definition of state definition of a motorized vehicle and so that there's no authority bird disagrees with this the state has never taken a position on this one way or the other but the city says you can't legally operate them and let's be honest the city they want their revenue out of this that that's what this is basically all about they if they're going to be doing business that's the bird scooters the city wants to figure out a way to get its its hands into into the pie well, the city has tried different ways to try to stop these, and they were talking about an, an ordinance which would have made them illegal and given the opportunity to prosecute people who ride them, et cetera, et cetera. They, they've backed off of that. And so what they've essentially said is the people that rent them to operate, unless you hit somebody or unless you cause some problem with the way you ride them, you're probably not going to get a ticket. But an ordinance which might go into effect starting as soon as Saturday would give the police the opportunity to impound any of these scooters which were left on a city street and essentially take it to the tow lot, just like you know they impound an illegally parked car or something like that. And the ordinance would say if Bird wants to get them back, They've got to go to the impound lot, and they've got to pay $100. Because part of the business model, unlike like the bubbler bikes or things like that, like the bikes that you can get, and you have to go to a station where they're docked, bird scooters, the, the business model is you ride it to where you're going, and you just drop it. You know, you lay it up against a building, and then you go on your merry way. And, you know, people find it. If, if I'm looking for a bird scooter, I go on the app. It tells me where the ones are in my area, and I can walk to it. At the end of the day, they have apparently GPS and all these things. So they go around, they pick up all the scooters, they recharge them. So part of the business model is just leaving them on the streets. Well, this new ordinance says that essentially the city can go and grab any of these that they find lying around on the street and then take it to the tow lot, and they're not going to give them back unless Bird pays $100 per scooter. And the story in the Journal Sentinel is that uh, they might start doing that effective Saturday. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know the ordinance says that, but the truth of the matter is these things, these Bird scooters, have become extremely popular. Lots of people riding them up and down the lakefront. There appears to be a desire on the part of the public to ride these, even though they might technically be illegal. Uh, I don't know. My question is, even if this ordinance gives the police the power to go out and start grabbing these things, should the city do it? Do you want to see police resources used to go around at the end of an evening and every time they find one of these scooters laying up against a building or something or on a sidewalk, do you want to see them grab them, essentially an effort to put the company out of business for the foreseeable future? 
How is the public going to react? How will you react? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you what I think about this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. But again, starting on Saturday, if this is the new tactic, the police are now saying, hey, we might go around, we might start seizing all of these, effectively putting the company out of business. Do you want to see the city of Milwaukee take that step? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a minute. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look up from my notes, and there's another. the marching band was going one way about 20 minutes ago. Now they're going back the other way. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Um, young people, red shorts, white shirts. Um, I don't know what high school they're from. Can't quite tell that, but... Um, it's kind of fun. I love broadcasting from the State Fair. Today is day one. It's 218. All right. The, the city of Milwaukee is at least threatening to get serious on these bird scooters. Ordinance that they passed gives the city the authority, if they choose to exercise it, to go out and start grabbing any that are left in the public roadways. Anything that's, I mean, uh, sidewalks, leaning up against buildings, etc., and then um, impounding them like they would a car that has overdue parking rates. All right, here's a couple of our texts before we go to the calls. Uh, so you mean, Jeff, to tell me that the city of Milwaukee has nothing more important to worry about than people enjoying scooters in the summertime? Give me a break. All right, Dan texts, they're not safe on the streets and they're not safe on the sidewalk. Impound them and let the company pay to get them Back. All right. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Cedric in Milwaukee. Cedric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good, Cedric. What do you think? Okay, should they start grabbing these scooters and impounding them? I don't think you should uh, grab them and impound them. I figure they got to figure out uh, where it's going to be safe to ride them at, though. I mean, are they going to let them ride in the bike lane or... Because the sidewalk isn't safe because, you know, a colleague of mine just got fouled by one down on down the street, you know, but about a week or two ago, come, you know, coming out of the grocery store. Yeah. Did he get Was he hurt? Yeah, he was hurt. He's off work. He's, uh, he's been off work for the last mm. nine days now. Yeah, that that's a problem. I got a text from a guy last time I was talking about this who's an Uber driver. says he picked up a woman at 2.30 in the morning who was all liquored up got on one of these things and it's not funny but you know drove over a curb and ended up breaking her ankle you know after and it's kind of like okay well if you're dead drunk at 2:30 in the morning this might not be the best thing to ride on i'm just saying right right but they're yeah. kind of convenient i i've actually used one they should they should just try to figure out something something with the company work out something with the company so that people can still enjoy them. yeah thanks for call Cedric. i i i agree see i i agree with you. i i understand what's going on with the city the city, I don't know that they're so much opposed to the scooters as they want their piece of the pie. They they want to figure out a way to get some dough out of this. That's what I think is going on. Some people think that the you know the anti-scooter stuff that's going on is a um, well because Tom Barrett doesn't want people you know not riding his trolley and riding these scooters instead. Bottom line is nobody's going to ride the stupid trolley anyways. That's just the bottom line. Doesn't matter whether you get the scooters there or not. If anything. These scooters might enhance the trolley because maybe it's going to be if you've got a millennial or something who says, "Hey, I, I want to, I don't want to walk the eight blocks to get to the trolley station. Tell you what, I'll rent the scooter." It, it might actually be an enhancement. I mean, look here. Here's the bottom line of all this, at least for me. I, I, I think it is a it is fair to raise some of the questions about the legality. 
and I understand why the city is a little bit upset about the business model. This company just comes in and drops them off. That being said, I think particularly for the summer months, these are an asset. And I understand you've got the stories. Like I was just telling you about the woman that gets drunk and drives you know, off and breaks her ankle. I, I get that. I understand there was another story about somebody who's cruising around on one of these who hits a pedestrian and, and people you know, get, have minor injuries. I, I understand that. But, of course, the truth is that can happen with somebody who jumps on a bicycle, too, not paying attention or whatever. I think the city would be making a mistake if it were to go out and aggressively enforce this ordinance. They've got it on the books. So if these scooters start to be a problem, well, all right, maybe then you do it. If somebody decides that they're just going to dump the scooter, for example, in the middle of 5th and Wisconsin, and you have that issue, okay, well, well, then maybe you want to seize it and pound it. But if the scooters aren't causing any problems, do you really want to have law enforcement or the parking checkers, whoever, going out and grabbing these things? Is it really worth that? especially when I, I think a lot of people want to ride them. Now, big picture, that's not the solution. Big picture is, you know, Bird has to cut some sort of deal with the city, and you have to figure out how these things can be legally operated, because I think there's a lot of people who do want to use them. Mike on the northwest side says, uh, Jeff, please have the cops pick up those 10% and leave the Bird scooters for someone else. Yeah, the, the 10%, of course, would be, like the police chief is talking about those 10% of the criminals who you know are out there who commit the vast majority of the crimes. Yeah, they've got this ordinance. Yes, I guess they could be aggressive and go out and scoop these things up. I think that would be overplaying their hands. If somebody dumps one of these scooters in a public thoroughfare and it's creating a nuisance, I didn't go pick it up. I, I get it. But just having... Somebody go out and say, all right, we're going to grab everyone we can find, and we're going to throw it in an impound lot. Heavy-handed, it will backfire. There will be a backlash. Mark my words. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the State Fair. I admit that this next story I want to just bring up, I, I was having a, I, I was flashing back to my boyhood and picturing my father. And I'm trying to picture my father if I went and asked for the equivalent of what is going on now. On this program from time to time, we have talked about this video game called Fortnite, which is the red hot thing. My nephew, my 11-year-old nephew, spent lots of time playing the game. I am proud to say, and I mean this, he's gotten into mountain biking. And so this summer, he's been... He's been on his mountain bike. He's not spending anywhere near as much time sitting in the basement in front of the screen playing Fortnite. And that's all a good thing. I, I He was over for dinner the, the other night. We had a little bit of a cookout. And I, he looked great, and I just told him how pleased I was that he'd gotten into this. And somehow he, you know, he got his butt out of the basement. And I'm not saying he doesn't do it, but it, it's not those hours and hours. Fortnite is a video game which has become extremely popular. It, it's sort of like a battle royale thing. You, you you do it online and it's a shoot 'em up type of thing. You get it's like a hundred people that start off, and then what you do is you go around and you kill each other or they get killed or whatever on the video game. And ultimately, there's one person that comes out of it, and you get points depending on how long you are. Your character is able to stay alive, and and this has been this incredible. I mean, it's just taken over. Can I see a show of hands? I mean, any anybody that's got a teenage kid or you know a tweener teenager, you know they're you know they're they're playing Fortnite. It's one of these really red hot things. Okay, so why are we talking Fortnite? Well, this is the latest thing. 
the latest trend is that you have parents who are hiring tutors for their children as to how to play Fortnite. The story, they're hiring, they're hiring coaches and they pay them between 15 to $50 an hour to teach their children how to play this video game. I swear I am not making this stuff up. The Wall Street Journal had a story about this, and, and then they interview it. They, they find this woman who is apparently proud of what she's doing. She talks to the Wall Street Journal. She says that she was worried that her 10-year-old son wouldn't be any good at Fortnite. Okay, now, now what, do you, what do you worry about with your, like, your 10-year-old son? Well, maybe he's not reading well enough. Maybe he's not getting math. Maybe he's not getting enough exercise. You know, maybe he's you know, spending too much time in front of a video game. That's not what this lady is worried about. She's worried that he's not playing Fortnite as well as he might like to. So she hires a coach, $50 an hour, to teach the kid how to play video games. I am trying to imagine, again, sitting in Glendale, Wisconsin, where I was growing up, going to my father and saying, Dad, you know, I'm just not playing Pong well enough. And, and I was wondering, um, I, I'm trying to keep my grades up and stuff. I, I was wondering, you know, I, no, I don't need a tutor for algebra, and I don't need a tutor for, you know, these other things. But I'd like to get a tutor to teach me how to play Pong better. I am trying to picture the reaction I would get from Jack Wagner. Well, I know what the reaction I would get is. But this is the common thing. Apparently, they estimate that more than 1,400 Fortnite coaches have been hired since March. Um, the, the, the justification is that Fortnite coaching is a way to help promote self-esteem in the kids who are not the best at the popular game. So the idea is let's hire a professional to come in and teach the kids how to play the game so the snowflake will then have better self-esteem when they go to school or whatever. Now, I, again, I, I think, you know, this, first of all, if you've got 50 bucks an hour to pay to hire somebody to teach your 10-year-old how to play a video game, to me that is, number one, God's way of telling you that you got too darn much money. That That's number one. But, but number two, I, I guess... Of all the different things that you could want to teach your kid, be concerned about, my kid's not reading well enough, he's struggling in math, all those type of things, I get tutors for those. I get tutors for English. I get tutors for all that different stuff. I get tutors for schoolwork. But you know we are looking at the end of the world as we know it when the newest cottage industry is tutors for video games. I do not make this up. It's 2.34, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the Wisconsin State Fair is back, and we are your home for all things food, livestock, and music. I'm just looking at the lineup of the bands. As I was saying earlier, my favorite band name when they're playing today, Carrie, the Monkey Boy, and the Dancing Bear. I'm just kind of curious to go over to see what the Monkey Boy, the Dancing Bear, and Carrie, I guess, look like. But there's all that music that's going on. Headliner tonight is Montgomery Gentry. Today's live broadcast from the State Fair Grounds on the biggest stick in the stake is sponsored by our friends at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Be sure to check that out. And, again, we're going to be broadcasting on from the grounds um, many, if not most, of the days of, of the fair. I'm off tomorrow because I'm on vacation, but I will be back next week 
four of the five days. I think there's an early baseball game on Thursday. But otherwise, I'm here from noon to three. Stop off and say hi. I, I just I love being out here, and I love getting a chance to interact with so many people. I was just saying earlier, it's been 20 years. This is my 20th year at the State Fair. I remember it. It's, just, it's gone by in the blink of an eye, and I remember sitting here, and again, we have an attractive crowd that kind of comes out and watches the show, and uh, just always lots of great stuff going on. So stop out and check out the fair. All right. We were talking earlier about polls and how you need to be extremely skeptical when it comes to the polls that you see. Here's here's one. The, all right. The, the Mitchell Park domes. Now, I've grown up. I've lived almost my entire life in this area. The Mitchell Park domes are nice. Right, and I can remember as a kid going there. I don't think I have been to the Mitchell Park domes in the last twenty years, and and I understand that there's a small, emphasized small number of people that that go to them, perhaps a lot. But most people are in the situation I'm in. You probably haven't been there in twenty years. Maybe you've been there once or twice, but you you, you don't go there on a regular basis. Certainly, nowhere near enough people go there to support the costs. The problem with the domes is that they were built in the mid-1960s using 1960s sort of technology. Think about, just think about sunrooms. The type of construction that they do, they do nowadays to build a sunroom is materially different than what happened in the 60s. And there's also a, there's a certain lifespan that buildings have. And we're talking about particularly domes, which are tough structures to build, and they're glass, there's lots of glass, there's lots of metal. Those those structures tend to erode over time. And the Mitchell Park domes have essentially reached the end of their useful life. It's not a knock on the domes. It's not a knock on the people that love to go see the domes. It's just the building has reached the end of its useful life. County Stadium was a wonderful facility in its day. It reached the end of its useful life, and you had to have Miller Park. Maybe you'll see houses around, or you'll have other buildings that are great in their day, but then it's time to move on. And that's where we are with the domes. That That's just the flat-out reality of where we are with the domes. Remember we had the story over the course, last, class, course of the last you know, year or two where it had gotten so bad that there were chunks of what concrete or whatever that were falling. I mean, it was falling. So their, their short-term fix is that they put up nets to stop the stuff from falling and hitting people. That's great as far as it goes, but you can't have a public building where stuff is falling off the top of it. So the, the county is faced with a number of different choices, and and the, the choice really is you can't do nothing. The choice is do you either close it down or do you say, all right, we're going to take tens of millions of dollars and we're going to put it into trying to restore the domes, or do you take tens of millions of dollars and say, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to try to make it even better. Now, the problem, of course, is that you got a lot of things in Milwaukee, Milwaukee County and the city, that need money and need lots of money. The, the museum is talking about moving. They're trying to figure out where they're going to get the money. The safety building down downtown, the safety building is falling apart. The safety building is structurally unsafe. It has reached the end of its useful life. 
And to rebuild that is going to take hundreds of millions of dollars. But you've got to do it. I mean, you've you got to have that. And then there's all sorts of other needs. I mean, it seems like every time we turn around, we're talking about one or a public project here or a public project there that needs money. And unfortunately, at least in my opinion, the domes are way down on that list. And I'm not saying that they're not worthwhile or whatever, but in some respects, it's a zero-sum game. You've got to make these decisions. If we spend... 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, 90 million, whatever it is to try to do something with the domes, that's money we don't have to do with something else. And and don't tell me you'd rather have had the domes than have Tom Barrett's trolley. I'm on board with that, no pun intended, but that's not the dynamic. That that trolley has left the station. And Tom Barrett wants he wants money to expand the trolley for goodness sakes. So anyhow, that's the background. Well, they do this online survey where people can participate, and they ran it for 30 days, and the numbers are in, and 1% of the people responding say do nothing. We can't do nothing. 1% say demolish the domes, and the vast majority of people, I mean over 80% of the people who respond, say let's, let's, let's build this up. Let's take more money, and let's throw it at the domes. Let's spend tens of millions of dollars, and let's try to do this and that and the other thing. And, again, this is one of the things where you have to be careful about polls. My guess is the, the people who were responding to this were that small group of people that cares very much about the domes. And that's great for them, but they're a really small, small, small group of people. The truth of the matter is you have to make hard choices. And if you look at the priorities around this community and the things that we need to spend money on, whether it's, again, a new safety building, whether it's putting money into the parks, whether it's, I don't know, trying to deal with lead in the pipes and things like that. If you look at all that type of stuff, you recognize that the domes have to be an extremely low priority. Oh, Jeff, don't you understand it's part of our tradition? Yeah, I understand it's part of our tradition. Like I say, I loved going to the domes 20 years ago. And I think it's a nice thing for school classes to go to on occasion. But the truth of the matter is, unless you can tell me where that money is going to come from, and unless if you're talking about taxpayer dollars, increasing property taxes, if you're looking for a state taxpayer bailout, I will tell you it ain't going to happen. That's just not in the cards. Unless you can tell me where that money is coming from and why it is more important to spend it on the domes than it is to spend it on any one of a 100 other projects around this area, bottom line is we just have to move on. We just have to move on. The circus parade was great for years and years, and eventually, well, it ended. The Greater Milwaukee Open, the golf tournament that we used to have, was great for a number of years, and eventually it just ended. It was time to move on. I think if you want to live in the real world, that's where we are on the domes. All right, when we come back, I'm going to open up the phone lines. I want to talk to you about, would you like to work four days a week? Stick around. It's 242. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair on WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Wisconsin State Fair is back, and we are your home for all things food, livestock, and music. Today's live broadcast from the State Fair grounds on the biggest stick in the state is sponsored by our friends at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Okay, bear with me for a second here. When I... um. I got. I went through college in three and a half years. Came back, wanted to go to law school, and so I graduated like after the first semester of a year. So got out in December, and I had nine months off between college and law school. I went to Marquette Law School, so I was looking for a job. I found a job at uh, insurance company, Time Insurance. 
which subsequently became like assurance, I think. But they used to have a building on Fifth and Wells, so that that was that was my first job after I got out of out of college, and it was a great place to work. And what I did was I it was the national headquarters for this insurance company, and I I dealt with like insurance agents and things like that. One of the things that I I enjoyed about working at the insurance company was during the summer. They had a policy of Friday afternoon off. It was like these flex hours. What they would do. Now, they, they didn't shorten the work week, but what they did is they had you start like a half hour early and, and work 15 minutes longer and they cut 15 minutes off the lunch hour. However, however they made it at work by, they, they made it equal out the fact that you got to leave at noon on Friday afternoon. So they just did this with summer hours. They did it during the summer. Didn't cut back the work week, but it was great. I mean, I just, I loved it. You had, it was almost like having an extra Saturday. I, at the time, I played a lot of golf. I want to play more golf at some point in time. But, you know, you could, we, a lot of us, we, we would go out Friday. You'd get off work at noon. You'd go out, you'd, you'd play golf or whatever. It was like having an extra day. I loved having that extra half day off. And one of the things I think the company found was that productivity you know, didn't go down. It just, it worked for a lot of people. And it was a, it was a great, it was just a great perk for companies. Now, there are some businesses where that wouldn't work. And I understand there's some businesses, if you're working in the medical profession or whatever, I get it. It's 24 seven. You got to work out the staffing if you're at a hospital or something like that. But productivity, I don't think went down during the summer. Matter of fact, I think you could argue it went up. Employees loved having that extra time off. Now, I bring this up because there there are a series of studies that are out there. I'm looking at a story they ran in the New York Times. A a number of other countries are playing around with the idea of a four-day work week. Now, at the company I worked for, it was a -a four-and-a-half-day work week, and it was still 40 hours. I say they, they, they made Monday through Thursday, they made it longer to account for, you know, Friday afternoons off. Some of these studies are saying, let's try experiments with company, with com- companies that only, you only work four days out of seven. So essentially your weekend is going to be Friday through Sunday. They, they didn't increase the hours. And a couple of these studies, one that they did in New Zealand, one that they did somewhere else, are, are suggest in Sweden, are saying that what they found is, that people were able to get as much work done in four days as they were in five. Now, I am extremely skeptical of that, and, and I don't think this country is, is anywhere close to coming up with a, a four-day work week per se. But flex hours, would you love the opportunity, for example, to work four 10-hour days and then be able to have that extra day off? Or what I used to do a long, long time ago, where you had you worked a little bit of extra time Monday through Thursday, came in early Friday, and had Friday afternoon off. Because I, I really think that was something that was incredibly employee-friendly and did not hurt producti- productivity at all. Matter of fact, I think it might have enhanced productivity. So while I don't think, I don't think, uh, again, you know, a four-day work week per se, if you're only going to then work 32 hours, I don't think that's the wave of the future. But how would you feel, 414-799-1620, how would you feel about, again, 
a system, maybe a four-and-a-half-day work week. Or if it's a four-day work week, it's longer hours. You still get the 40 hours in, but you get that extra day off. 414-799-1620. Josh in Illinois. Josh, you're first on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. So, interestingly, interestingly, I actually stopped working Saturdays and Friday afternoons into the evening as a personal religious choice a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And... This turned my whole week upside down to where I work so much harder. I work 12-hour days now doing, you know, stuff with this company, storm chasing and whatnot, fixing roofs, harder than I ever worked in my life. And I just get rejuvenated. I always mm-hmm. feel centered on that day to look forward to the end of the week and rest with my family and stuff. It's just a better way of living, in my opinion, of having that time I think everybody should be taking and, and you find yourself you find yourself big picture being more productive during those those four and a half days that you're working. You think you're more productive now than you were when you had the more traditional work week. Absolutely. I mean, I I changed in order to keep Sabbath, right? It's a Jewish right. Thing, sure, right? Sure, yeah, sure. No, no, no. Thanks, thanks for calling, Josh. No, I get you right. I, I mentioned there was the, the religious thing that was was driving that, and that's fine. But but I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying. You're more for whatever the motivation was for you doing it. You're still you're more productive during that time. I just thought it it was a just a great perk. I just I mean, to this day, I still remember. And again, I appreciate that there's some industries that it's just not going to work for. But at the same time, I, I think there, it has a lot of appeal. Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, thanks for taking the call. Great topic. Yes, sir. You no, know, there's another way of looking at this. The first caller had a great, you know, great, uh, you know, he has a great incentive to get all this work done. And yes, I believe you can do it. But it would also stimulate our economy because if we're off on Friday, we're going to go do something. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to take yeah, a three I mean, day. I'm going to take a three day weekend, maybe to Door County, which you know, maybe I right. won't do if it's just Friday, Saturday. And I can blow out of work on front Thursday late afternoon and and get a a ton done, and I'll probably do more than what I would normally do. I I I played a lot of golf during that summer. I mean, extra golf that I would not have otherwise played because hey, it's great. A bunch of the guys from work. Let's let's go out. We can be on a golf course at one thirty on a Friday. Well, if I'm working, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's an extra round. So right. however many green fees I'm paying, no, it's, oh, and, yeah. and whatever, I, I, whether it's golf or whatever, yeah. What have you? It, it would stimulate because you're you're not just going to stay home all day Friday. You're going to go do something. Go for lunch. You know, take a long right. lunch or shop or whatever you do. So, great idea. Love yeah. it. No, I think there's appeal. Thanks for the call. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And again, I, I I appreciate there are businesses it doesn't work for. And so, it, but the business I work, the insurance company I work, what they found is that you know we dealt a lot with like agents from all over the country. And they found during the summer the agents weren't working at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. So why have you know all this huge staff that's in there working? Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Happy Thursday, Hi, Tim. man. You know, <laughs> yes, sir. When I used back in my old hourly life when I was a machinist. I, we used to work 6 to 3.30, nine hours, and then uh, 7 to 11 on Fridays. And it was great, especially in the summer, because then I could go hit 18 or 9, even, Jeff, whatever I wanted to do, or go suck them up at right. a bar or whatever you want to do. It does stimulate <laughs> the economy. And that's, that's an old time. That's our word back in the day, Jeff, suck them up, you know. Um, but, right. you know, what it, what it does, and your last caller was exactly right, I think it does stimulate the economy. If somebody's off on Fridays, they're going to go up north or wherever around here. They're going to spend yeah. some money. So. I think it's a great idea, but you're correct. 
it doesn't work for all industries, especially what I'm in right now, because I have to be here every day. So, well, well right, and, and I get so that. Thanks, no, thanks for the call. Well, I, I appreciate it, Tim. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that, that that's it. Okay, we're at the Wisconsin State Fair. All right, so if, some, if you had a situation where you want to come out, hey, it's a Friday afternoon, you want to come out to the State Fair, but you, you don't want to you don't want to blow a day of vacation or whatever. Well, if you've got that, if you've got that, those summer hours or whatever, you're, you're set. It's it's all done. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. Four-day work weeks do actually work. I lived in North Carolina, the Raleigh area, for two years, and hardly anyone worked on Fridays. If they did work, it was only until noon. Their economy is twice as big as Milwaukee. It's just, I think it's one of these things that we you, you think about, and I think employers moving forward need to think about how can you get productivity out of workers and how can you balance that work life with you know, your home life, and um, I something to think about, something to think about. Hey, it is 2.54. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. When we come back, we're going to find out what John Mercure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.